Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello. <laughs> I'm very excited about this one. Um, well, I'm always excited about my podcasts and my guests, but this one I'm particularly excited about. Uh, let me just give you a bit of context. I, I guess I've got this dream list of people that I'd love to have on the podcast, but I always felt that like I'm not ready yet. I'm too small. I'm just new to this. Uh, not professional enough. I need to wait until I'm better. I need to wait until I achieve this higher level of podcasting prowess, which I mean, I know it's a myth, but it, it's one that I feel like I have been buying into. But then um uh, and, and on that list, there's people like Brené Brown, there's Russell Brand. Actually, there's loads of people on that list. Um, uh, but always top of that list has been Charles Eisenstein. He's someone that I just really love his writing. It really resonates with me. A couple of years ago, I read his book, The More Beautiful World Your Heart Knows Is Possible. And it really, I really connected with something in that. Um, uh I think he, he talks quite a lot about this idea of the separation of humanity, how we've sort of followed this path away from our sort of indigenous roots, one of growth and capitalism and sort of using resources and um, sort of this, this very much se- separating ourselves out from nature. And, and we're at this sort of crescendo in human history where we need to start sort of looking back and learning from the sort of re- remaining indigenous cultures. We need to go back into nature and form these deeper connections with ourselves and with uh, with the natural world. And um, and he's got many other ideas along those lines, and I, uh, they really resonate with me. And uh, anyway, I was at this event in Sweden earlier in August, and uh, it's the Youth Initiative Forum. Uh, and I found out just before I was going that Charles Eisenstein was a contributor to that, and he was going to be talking there, so I was excited. And then... Um, one day he sat down opposite me at the communal lunch and we had a, started having a chat. And right then I just knew, oh, I need to ask him, but I feel so scared that he's going to say no. But then at the same time, I realised that actually my biggest fear is not of him saying no. My biggest fear is of just not asking and always wondering, would I have had a chat with him? So I did ask him. And it turned out he said yes. He was very, uh, very nice. And he was just about to go off to a filmmaker's house called Matthias Olsen um, to film an interview. So he invited me along to Matthias's house. So I, I went there and uh, Matthias filmed his interview for his thing, Campfire Stories. And then I recorded this little conversation with him about mental health. And it was nice having a filmmaker there. So Matthias offered to film it, which is a first for Ministry of Change having a the uh, visual version of the podcast as well which uh, at the moment is available on my Patreon page um, as Patreon only content so you can head over there and look at that but anyway um, thank you for for um, listening I felt a little bit like when I was listening to this I, I listened to Charles Eisenstein who's obviously very used to being in that situation and I listened to me who's obviously a little bit starstruck and I just see my sort of usual bumbling mumbling sort of inarticulate self there and it makes me cringe a little bit but I think maybe that's just that it's quite cringeful watching yourself uh, on video it's not something I'm that used to I'm quite used to the audio version but having the camera there sort of 
made me feel a little bit more nervous but I, I, I'm quite happy with the results and I, I hope you enjoy it so here now is my conversation with Charles Eisenstein thought while you're here it'd be great to get this opportunity to chat about sort of mental health with you because you're someone that I was sort of quite inspired by before I started this podcast about mental health and I think also something um I mean one of the things that I think about mental health I, I possibly use the term in a different way to other people because I I see it part of this very holistic ecosystem of like it, it's not like one thing it's 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 connected to so many sort of different things in our lives. This, this this idea of mental health, which I think is often sort of, often sort of medicalized or separated out into something else, but I think it's part of a bigger whole. And I mean, one of the ideas that I was really drawn to that you talk a lot about is that the idea of sort of separation. And I sort of I was wondering if you could sort of elaborate on sort of or have ideas on how that that sort of the, the separation relates to sort of our sort of mental health in society. Does that make sense? Yeah, it just seems like such a broad yeah. question that it'll invite me to make a very theoretical answer. Well, how do you think we can um, tap it down into something less theoretical? Yeah, like, so I'd say that to be... I mean, for one thing, what is mental health? Yeah. You know, really, health means wholeness. And I think that might be a good uh, entry point because then we can ask what is a whole human being? And I think a whole human being is someone with a full complement of relationships from distant relationships to very intimate relationships. Most human beings who have lived on this planet had very intimate relationships with the people around them and the natural world around them. I remember reading, I think it must have been from uh, David Abram, one of his books, but this account of, of traveling with uh, an indigenous person on the land, you know, and every single feature, every, every boulder, every hill, every stream had a story. It was woven into a tapestry of meaning that went back for many generations. So that's a kind of an intimacy and to know what every plant is used for and the stories around that plant and to know the habits of every animal and the way that that animal relates with human beings. So that's a kind of, of intimacy, a kind of relationship. And then also to know the people around you deeply, to know the people who, who grow your food and make your things and, and, and to have these multidimensional relationships. Okay. So that would be a whole human being. And you can see how in modern society, we have none of that. I, I realized, I'm, I'm staying at my brother's, <clears throat> my brother's farm for the summer. We go there in the summer and you have so many beautiful bird songs, you know? And I realized if I hear the bird song, there's probably not more than five or at most 10 birds where I can actually picture the bird. Most people would have been able to do that with hundreds of birds. So this whole world of nature, even, at, you know, I'm, I'm on a farm, I'm on land, but even so, it's, it's alien to me. So I feel a bit alone. I don't have that sense of belonging in the world. 
And the same thing for social relationships. You go to the store, like, do you know that person? You, maybe you do a little bit if you go to the same store every day, but, but you don't know them nearly as well as you did your neighbor in a peasant village in England in, you know, 1300. Like, at that, in that situation, you were intimate with so many people. So we, don't, we have none of that. <clears throat> and, and I think that is a lack of wholeness, therefore a lack of health that comes out as all kinds of anxiety and insecurity and, and um, neurosis. And, you know, then we're given a pill to cure it or, or mm. therapy, psychotherapy. There you are in a room with somebody. And maybe that actually does provide a little bit of intimacy. You know, someone gets to know your story really well, but it's not really what you need. So you could say that mental illness is built into society as we know it. And therefore, to heal mental illness or to, to, to foster mental health is fundamentally a social, political, economic problem. It's not just how do we treat people better. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I mean, one of the reasons I started doing this whole thing was because, the, I mean, it was from my own lived experience of depression and anxiety, that sort of thing. And I found that, like, my experience was very much that go to the doctor's sort of GP, um, uh, uh, their sort of medicine or talking therapy, both of which I think like, they have a place, but, like, there's, there's more to it. And I think, yeah. but, I mean, I understand, like, that from the medical services are so overstretched. I mean, in the UK and in lots of other countries, so they can't do that. So I sort of wanted to explore more around what, what is the alternative thing. And I think I came across through listening to many, many different stories that it seems to be this big sort of spiritual crisis of mm -hmm. sort of being lost and being churned out of a, of a system and then not really knowing what to do with that. Right. Yeah. Like when you say, you know, these things have their place talking about, uh, I'm not sure if you're talking about psychiatric medication or, or talk therapy and stuff. If you, if you, if you take for granted the conditions that cause us to be miserable and insecure and anxious, if you take all that for granted as unchangeable, then you do need these things to keep society running. But a more revolutionary question is, do we need to take these things for granted? How can we change them Collectively, and then there's also how can I change them even just in my own life? Like how can I um, create conditions where I feel more of a sense of belonging and stuff? And to some extent, that's impossible without changing the entire society. But to a large extent, it is possible to foster more intimate connection with people and nature. Like there are things that we can do that that have been shown like, like even like garden therapy, you know, yeah. like get people in the garden and a lot of the mental illness goes away, get them into nature, you know, get them into, um, uh, participation in some social project. And of course, if you're feeling really depressed, you probably don't even want to do that. So, so something yeah. has to intervene to bring you from that universe uh, of despair and depression into a universe of participation and connection. Um, and I think that a, a good first step for a sane mental health system would be to intervene by changing conditions rather than by giving pills that, that allow conditions to be maintained.
Yeah, I, I would agree with that entirely. I think another thing that I see, like a lot of the language, especially around sort of this, this idea of mental health, is about sort of combating, getting over, and sort of it's very sort of conflict based language, I think. And something I think I'm becoming more aware of through my experiences and talking to others is that maybe it's not like a question of learning how to avoid all these things but it's learning how to sort of lean into the experience and how to actually navigate that rather than see it as a problem really mm-hmm. like if you have depression maybe it's a symptom of sort of the environment you're in and how do you learn to listen to that and be with it mm-hmm. rather than like and medicate it and hope it goes away because I don't know if that's simple but then like this for me the question around sort of like rites of passage and like eldership always seems to spring up there there's not really like in, in I think in western society I don't feel there's a there's really that sort of uh, support system and especially for people young people when they're growing up to have that and like I, I don't know do you have any sort of ideas around that or sort of thoughts on that most of the support structures are there to um, help you become a functioning member of society as it is. And if society as it is needs to change and your purpose in this world is to help serve that change, then the support structures will not be your friend. And we need alternative support structures that understand that society um, has gotten illness. And to adjust you to that is to make you ill too. And in that viewpoint, depression could be a symptom of health. It could be a symptom of the soul's rebellion. Because depression is a kind of a withdrawal from life. You know, and you just want to stay in your room and and not do anything. You don't want to participate. So non-participation is a good thing. I mean, suppose, you know, we're in Nazi Germany and, you know, you've got a job at the death camp, you know, and like, and then you start feeling depressed. You know, it's like, man, I just don't want to go to work, you know. And then the psychiatrist comes and says, oh, the reason you don't want to go to work is that you're depressed. And here's some medicine to make you once again happy to go to work. Like actually your depression was healthy and not that we live in such an extreme situation, but in a way like um, the normal functioning of society is bringing incredible suffering to humans and other beings. So I think that it is kind of healthy to not want to participate in the life that's offered to us. So I think that, that, yeah, any approach to mental health that doesn't recognize that, that doesn't acknowledge that non-participation could be a good thing, and that sees health as being well adapted to the way things are, that's got a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's probably what I would, my view as well is that actually it just seems sometimes that the sanest thing to 
come out with as well as like this being depressed. It's like it's seeing yeah, that's probably the wrong way of saying it, but like yeah, sort of this thing they sort of class as sort of insanity is actually like a reflection of, of sanity in a world that is sort of not very conducive all the time to humans really being sort of able to flourish. And I mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's a really interesting um area to explore. Yeah. yeah. But so I do think we need kind of mentors and helpers to to uh, nourish that part of ourselves that says, yeah, actually, the world is kind of insane. And I'm not crazy for thinking so. And then what can I do about it? Like, what am I called to do about it? To listen to that call requires courage. And I, in my experience, it requires help. It requires people to share what they've heard, like what, what call they've heard. And, and you're like, yeah, I've heard that too. And, and maybe this person <clears throat> has been on this path for a long time and, and is familiar with some of the territory and, and the, the setbacks and the challenges. And, and then that person is qualified to mentor you also in living a life outside of the normal prescription, um, helping you be strong when you can't be strong yourself. That, so a mentor can do that and a community can do that too. I think it's really important. Like, I don't think we can be truly sane and effective without other people around us who are holding that field. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I see that a lot with um, when I'm talking to people. There's definitely this idea of sort of the way that people think they should be living because that's all the signals around them are telling them that. But the way that they feel deep down, they they want to live or they, mm-hmm. they need to be living and, and they're in conflict. And I, I think that resonates with what you said there because like there's that idea of without those sort of people that share your your ideas or your understanding or at least sort of recognise what you're, how you're experiencing the world. It's very hard to reconcile your inner feelings with a world that tells you mm-hmm. that's not what you should be right. doing. Right, and then add it on to that economic uh, difficulty. Because you know, often then when people um, listen to the call of, of their purpose in the world, it may not be something that is highly paid. In fact, it probably is something that won't get them a job at all, or often is something that 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 isn't going to make money in the normal economy. And so, I think you know we need to have um, people with with financial legacy, you know, inheritors and mm. or people who have made a lot of money and have a change of heart. We need them to essentially fund the artists and the change makers and um, the revolutionaries. Um, I'm not talking about violent revolution here, yeah. but you know the, the people who are agents of change. Um, they, they need to be supported, not just with moral support, but also with financial support, like. So people with money need to um, really take on um, creating social enterprises and um, projects that give meaningful work to people who want to serve this change. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. I mean, yeah, it's not just about changing your attitude. Like the financial problems that people face when they have a, a transformation are real. And, and 
not universal. I'm not saying like you have a transformation and you'll never make money again. And, um, I mean, there are like people already funding beautiful, beautiful things in the world. And there are people willing to pay for, for things that, that uh, inspire them. And I, there is, like, yeah. so I don't want to paint too bleak a picture, but there has to be a willingness uh, among people to offer like real tangible economic support in addition to you know mentorship and community and encouragement yeah yeah i understand that i make a podcast about mental health and it's not it's not a particularly lucrative business but uh, yeah so i hope that you have like some way for people to donate i do i do i have a patreon and stuff like that but yeah Yeah. i I think also that's an interesting this actually we're talking earlier um this this morning with some people about this this idea of the the capitalist capitalist system and like and mental health in general and this sort of i guess there's this pressure to like always be doing more and to to grow and to be doing something big and achieve achieve more with your life and it's not okay to be where you are you have to be Mm -hmm. sort of constantly striving and I think that puts a puts a lot of pressure on 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 everyone and especially on individuals and especially on sort of sensitive individuals so right yeah it's a whole setup where you get social acceptance for living a certain life and showing certain results. And we're trained so that that social acceptance becomes part of our self-acceptance. So if you're not achieving success as has been defined for you, then there's that voice that's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a failure. Uh, My life is a waste. I'm not good enough. Uh, That's that's a a psychological pressure that torments people. Mm Even if, like, another part of them knows that, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. This is important. Even though I'm not making a lot of money, even though I'm not looking like a success, I know this is important. But then there's that other voice saying, no, you're not. You're wasting your time. Your father was much more successful. You don't even have life insurance. You know, you don't even have investments. You're totally... There's there's a conflict. And that... I think is a, definitely a source of anxiety and um, it's this psychic drain that prevents us from being fully healthy. It's just like this programming that, that most of us carry. Yeah, I think you, you just tapped into the two voices inside my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure they're in everyone's head. Um, yeah, no, it's a real. I mean, it's a real. Sort of yeah, look, look at you. You've got like you know, how old are you? Thirty five, forty, right? And you, and all you have is this podcast. <laughs> what have you done in your, your life? Where's your degree? Like, look at so and so. There, you know, the chief counsel for this corporation. And this one's working in the government, and you, you haven't achieved anything, right? There's that voice that. There's there's that voice, but that voice is one I'm getting better at sort of like, I don't know, not not repressing, just like listening to it and putting it to the side and being right. like, that actually that's, uh, yeah, like probably by all the metrics that I would have used to uh, base success on or that maybe society does base success on, I'm pretty much like a failure in that yeah. sense. But like, but I know right now that I feel more in tune and more aligned to what I want to be doing or need to be doing or just I don't even know what it is I feel that I I'm doing what I need to be doing right now and I'm happy for that to right to change when it needs to change but like 
yeah, but it's it's very very difficult to change those metrics, that you, especially like um, yeah, I'm thirty two, so I've had all these like like years and years of sort of programming into one way of thinking, and that was very sort of rational, science based. Um, I, I mean, just like I think that's pr- pretty much just a typical result of the education system I went mm-hmm. through and the site I went through, and I, and it's like. I think it's a big process of unlearning and unlearning and unlearning mm-hmm. and then sort of trying to sort of build back from a, a more open foundation, really. Yeah. 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 And That's hopefully fun. you can pass your unlearning down to the next generation. Yeah. If you ever have a family or even when you interact with young people, um, maybe they're, they won't have to do as much deprogramming and they'll be able to start. Like, I feel like that's kind of true of my kids. You know, I spent many years deprogramming from the cultural programs that had been instilled inside of me about what a successful, worthy life looks like. And finally, after I did enough unlearning and enough deprogramming, I was able to turn toward what I'm here to do. So I feel like my kids are maybe able to to start at a much younger age um, and not have to go through those years and decades of self-struggle. How do you do that with the... Well, um, for one thing, avoiding sending them to normal schools. And if they do end up in a normal school, then to make sure that I don't become the ally of the school that wants to attach their self-esteem to their academic performance. And I remember one interaction I had with, with Matthew's school where he wasn't doing his homework. And they're basically, the teacher called me and they're basically like, you know, you, you, you're going to have to make sure he does his homework. Like asking me to pressure him to do that. Now, how do you pressure a child? Usually it's through the giving and withholding of approval. And, and associating that and the way you signal approval mm-hmm. is through with punishments and, and stuff. And so basically wanting me to become an ally in programming him to do the program, to, to seek the rewards that the system gives him, to, to reinforce the association of good school performance with being a good person. Like that's, that's so if you can avoid doing that, with young people and instead uh, validate their reluctance. Like I was like, yeah, I wouldn't do that homework either. What a waste of time. Um, like, what are you really interested in? You know, that, 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 so then, you know, then he doesn't have that baggage when he grows up. I think that's, yeah, I think that sounds amazing. It's a very important thing to do. Um, yeah. Whereas my parents like bless their hearts, but, yeah. They really thought that I would be in trouble in life. I wouldn't have a good life if I didn't do my homework and get good grades. And they were, um, you know, they gave me a lot of pressure to do that. And, and I ended up torturing myself a lot because I didn't want to do the work and I procrastinate and what's wrong with me. And I would have this inner struggle to fight myself in order to be worthy and and worthy of approval, um, worthy of good things in life. I had to fight myself. So I think that 
inner struggle is part of, of what we call mental illness. Mm. Like that generates so much internal tension that something breaks in some people. So what was the change for you that led from, that helped you move past that? Or are you not past that? Um, in a lot of ways, I, I'm, I'm now past that. I mean, gosh, I'm 50 now, you know, so I mean, I hope I would have gotten over some of it by now. And some of it still comes up. But I think part of it was my growing understanding of the deep wrongness in the way that the world is right now. Um, just understanding the way that the world system functions. And part of it was direct experience that showed me that, that the reality and that the explanation of the world that I'd been given was wrong, was, was way, way too narrow and limited through kind of spiritual experiences, psychedelic experiences, things like that. Um, yeah, these shook me loose from the reality story that I had been indoctrinated with. Yeah, and also maybe encountering people who lived in a different way. People who, like, I deeply admired who didn't buy in to those, to that system of rewards, who didn't care about success in that way. And also seeing that the people who did achieve that success weren't really happy. Didn't do them any good in the end. Didn't stop them from, you know, having divorce from having depression, from being addicted. The rewards looked empty. And that's a crisis for a lot of people. You, you, the, the emptiness of the rewards of success is revealed to you, but there's no replacement. So there's a period of being lost. And that's when when the best medicine is something that gives you a view of another uh, another kind of success or another kind of well-being. Someone can come in and model it or you can have a spiritual experience or something. That, that like the, the old story has to begin to break down, I think, before the light from outside that story can pierce through. I'd like to, I think yesterday you said something about... Uh, I'll get it wrong, but like the being lo when you're lost, you're being directed by like already being directed by the seeds of the future or something along those lines. Um, mm -hmm. See, so yeah, I've got it written down actually. Probably. Uh, I don't know where I wrote it down, so it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, right. Like like we get. Uh, glimpses by grace of what life could be and who we could be in that mm. life. And those then provide some guidance. Because once you have that experience, then the old reality seems all the more intolerable. Because you've seen something else. Like no one can tell you that, oh, this is all there is. But there's not often words or the vocabulary to, right. to, to explain that maybe you don't need to explain it maybe that's going full circle back to the support networks of people mm -hmm. that actually don't you don't need to explain that because they already know yeah especially the first encounter like 
like, you're like, yes, here it is. What is it? God, really can't say, but it is, it just feels like a strong invitation into who I will be. And those are such precious experiences. And yeah, if you've had one of those experiences and, or anyone who might be listening to our conversation, um, even to, to bring that experience into presence, to like call it up, to remember how you felt at that moment, uh, and just to do honor to that experience, that, that will exercise an effect too. Like that was real, what you saw. The, could have been something you saw through another person who demonstrated some kind of courage or generosity or, or kindness or power that called to you. Yeah. Or just an experience you had that was outside the normal bounds of what you thought was real and that, that called you into a new being. And, and maybe you didn't listen to that call or you couldn't, or you weren't ready. Maybe that call is something that, that persists over years and comes again and again in different forms. So it's not like you're a failure if you didn't immediately totally transform your life. That, that, that's not the requirement. Uh, but what is helpful is to recognize the preciousness of that and to accept the gift of it. And to, to as I said, to do it honor. So, yeah, I mean, I would even, like, ask us right now to take a minute to uh, bring to mind one of those people or experiences and just to do it honor, you know? Just to, like, yeah, that happened. Mm. That person existed, exists. Should we, um, <clears throat> should we do that? And then I think we, I'm aware we've been talking before this for a long time as well. So we could sort of maybe it'd be a nice place to end with that. Um, just a moment to reflect on. Let's do a moment and then, and then uh, ask me one more thing. Oh, that's pressure. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. Yeah. Okay, let's do a moment. thing mm. I guess it'd be uh, it'd maybe be useful for um just for the sort of people listening because I think there's often people that are sort of quite sort of, sort of in, a, in a, what they describe as like a dark place and I don't know if you, do you have any sort of I don't know I think advice is the wrong word because it's so we're just like what what are like the small steps that people can take when they are in that wilderness yeah so obviously, anybody who's in that place, who's listening to this, is already listening to this. So I'm actually not going to offer small steps. You probably already know the small steps, but for some reason, you can't take them. You're not taking them or you're not ready to take them. 
And I would ask you to consider that the pace of your transition out of the dark state has its own intelligence. And that when the moment comes to take these steps, you will be ready and you will do them. That if you've withdrawn into a cave, that maybe there's a deep wisdom operating there. That you've gone through a process. And the very fact that you're listening to this right now means that that process is at a transition point. So it's not about what can you do to get out of this. It's about recognizing that this time of darkness is reaching its end. And you can feel grateful for that. And you can feel the ring of truth uh, in my words. That this isn't something that is up to you to do. It's an initiation that's happened to you. It's a process that has taken you through itself. And a change is coming. And you can trust. It's not that it just happens without your participation. It's that you're, you, you come into a new willingness to participate. You come into a readiness and a responsiveness. And this isn't something either that you have to make yourself do. Instead, I would ask you to give a little bit of attention right now to the feeling of readiness that is growing in you and to offer it some trust and say, thank you, readiness, because you are going to push me with a feeling of excitement and rightness at the moment when the time to take these small steps comes. And I will recognize that, that moment, and I will trust my feeling of readiness, my desire to participate in this in this life, that perhaps I've withdrawn into darkness as a necessity to, to transition out of a wrong life. And I thank my soul for guiding me to do this. So this is a, a kind of an invitation into, into self-trust that, again, is not something that you have to accomplish. I hope this isn't too complicated. Um, it's it's something that you can feel that's already there, like a deep knowing, a deep trust through all the darkness. Like there's some little speck of knowledge that I'm not a fuck up, that that I am whole, that I am wise, that this that who am I? I am life. I am life taken the form that life takes in the circumstances that I was put into. I am just as much life as that tree over there or the tree that, that is growing up all twisted and gnarled because it was in rocky soil and in shadow and against a cliff or whatever. And it, it knew what to do. It knew how to grow. 
in that rocky soil. And maybe I was in rocky soil too. And I, I am life. I know how to grow just as much as any other living being. And so I guess just what I'm asking right now is to touch that knowledge and accept that that's all you need to do. Touch that knowledge and it begins to work you. Even if you don't believe it. Even if you think that you won't take those steps. There's that knowledge that you will. That you are life. Thank you so much to Charles Eisenstein for taking the time to talk with me on the Ministry of Change podcast. I still feel excited, like I'm riding that wave of excitement uh, after talking to talking to him even all these weeks on. Um, I, I really liked the bit he said uh, nearest to the beginning, that said that mental illness is built into society as we know it, and therefore to heal mental illness or to foster mental health is fundamentally a social, political, economic problem. It's not just how do we treat people better. Uh, I really like that. I think that's sort of one of the key messages I'm trying to explore with Ministry of Change. It's this idea that I think me- uh, mental health has been classified as a sort of medical problem, but I think it's not. I think the medical uh, thing is a result of the, the problems that we have in governance, in education, in uh, the way we treat the environment, and the way we treat each other. And I think these are all things that we need to examine and uh and, uh, and I hope to do that more and I, I'm really interested in digging down into these sort of narratives that we live our lives in and that sort of keep us doing things which aren't necessarily constructive to having a healthy life uh, as individuals and as society so um, yeah I think there's a lot of food for thought in this conversation what I uh, for me anyway hopefully you'll find that too uh, Charles Eisenstein has a new book coming out it is called Climate A New Story and it is on um climate change essentially and the human impact on on climate change and and, and I, I, I guess possibilities of uh what we can do to create a better future um if you want a little bit of an insight into that then i urge you to go and head out head over to Matthias olsen's page uh website which is campfire stories uh, it's campfire-stories.org um, and on there he has uh, his interview that he filmed just before I did mine um, and that is more specifically on the, the new book um, which I'm looking forward to I think it comes out on the 18th of September or around that date so do get that as well and do look at his other books I, I really recommend all of them particularly I think um, The More Beautiful World Your Heart Knows Is Possible and Sacred Economy and he's got a really good web um, podcast called The New Ancient Story as well which you can find Um, so wow that was exciting so thank you very much for listening Uh, please do uh, think about heading over to my Patreon page that's how I am trying to fund this uh, project at the moment or if you have any other ideas of how I can fund it that's also welcome so do get in touch my email is uh, marcus at the ministry of website where you can find out more about what i'm doing is the ministry of and um also as i mentioned at the beginning please do go on to my itunes page and rate and review this podcast or wherever you get your podcast please rate and review it because that will help me to reach more people 
Um, oh, another thing, I the music I used in this one, I found this really like, amazing uh, musician, he's Canadian, um, called, I think, De Kobe. Um, well, he lives in Canada. I have a feeling he might be Japanese. I'm not sure. I should research him more. But anyway, I downloaded this album and uh, it is called Appreciation. And both of the tracks I used at the beginning and at the end were from his album. And do go over and check out his Bandcamp page, which I'll put a link to at the bottom as well for if you want to hear some more of his music. It's really good. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And I'll be back with another episode soon.